Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're going round Springfield. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, that was perfect. <laughs> doing Allie I'm doing so good yeah 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 I'm doing good as well I don't know what day it is <laughs> yeah time <laughs> feels very fluid um I, all I know is that I'm you know I feel like I'm I'm hunkered in my Simpsons bunker just yeah. the only time I see the sun is to discuss tv and creative people with you Allie Oh, yeah. I did a post as uh, our Simpsons account on Twitter asking people to respond with their quarantine vibes. So respond with a Simpsons picture or GIF of uh, your Simpsons vibe. And I highly recommend that everyone checks this out because it is so good. And I obviously <laughs> there's a Simpsons GIF for everything, but it is unbelievable. Like, the num like there are 500 replies each of different gifts and each of them are relatable on a different day and it's amazing what do you think would describe your vibe what simpsons moment do you think is your quarantine i i feel like i didn't see your post when i made this post but i feel like i kind of was already in line with it because i did like you know post three pictures that emulate your quarantine vibes and the first one was that um, famous Twilight Zone episode where, you know, the guy wants to read for the oh, rest course. of eternity. Time enough and, at last. Yeah. Yes, of course. And so I, that was my first one. The second one was um, the latest Little Women, Joe Marsh, um, <laughs> putting all of her like, you know. Papers like, on the ground. Papers on the ground. And then the last one was, of course, Mr. Burns and um the Springfield Casino episode with the spruce moose and then you have Smithers with <laughs> you know his like nurse outfit so I feel like a lot of us are kind of uh vibing with uh like the germy Mr. Burns <laughs> during all of this so absolutely yeah. love mm -hmm. it M mine is I wash myself with a rag on a stick Oh, that's good. That's a good one. That's really, really, I'll have to reconsider and make that my vibe too. <laughs> um, I'm very excited that we are continuing our podcast, um, even though we are in our own homes, um, because we want everyone that listens to our podcast to get new, fresh content and to help us also. So uh, when you guys are listening, make sure that you're tweeting at us and stuff so that we know that we're, th we're not just going out into a void um, because mm -hmm. we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. That's been really encouraging too. I feel like for better or worse, podcasts are booming at this moment in time, <laughs> this crazy wacky moment. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to continue uh, making episodes um, for, for your ears. And on that note... We have a fantastic guest today. Should we just like hop in and introduce them? I said hop in. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> what um, up? What up? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll bring you into the room. Please, everybody, welcome Simpsons writer and, and uh, accomplished writer of many other things that we will get to, Cesar Mazariegos. What welcome. up? How's it going? How's it going? Live and direct from the bunker. Yeah. yeah. Describe <laughs> your bunker vibes. What's what's your quarantine vibes over there, Cesar? 
little house in South LA. I'm cozy. I'm good. I, I keep thinking back to my years in New York. I'm thinking of my first New York apartment, studio apartment. Couldn't have been bigger than like 400 feet. And I feel bad for whoever lives there now. I'm just like, oh my yeah. God. Like, I was I was in quarantine then. You know what I'm saying? Like just a loser <laughs> who lived super duper uptown. No one would come visit me. Uh, I was writing a horror movie at the time, freaking myself out, smoking weed at like three in the morning and writing. Uh, and I just get chills thinking about like, oh God, like, uh, you know, like I'm glad I, I live in LA and have a little more space than I used to. <laughs> Yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. I used to live in a studio apartment in my early 20s, and I'm just like, oh, God forbid. Like, yeah. that would be my true Mr. Burns Spruce Moose moment yeah. of just being like, <laughs> what, what is the sun, you know? Uh, so, Cesar, currently you are still on The Simpsons, correct? And yes. So, but during Corona, you guys are maintaining a writer's room, but this is happening online? This is yes. happening like in a chat. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this has been the end of our third week doing this. Uh, we kind of adopted early, like maybe about a week, week and a half early than kind of everyone else did. Uh, it was That's just great. a cons- yeah, yeah. It was at first. You know, a few of us thought it was a little alarmist and like, what really? This is what we're gonna do? All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> and really, it was like we're gonna try this for three weeks and then we'll see how this whole coronavirus thing pants out or whatever yeah all right i guess we'll see each other in three weeks or whatever and uh no we're not going in on monday um yeah we just took to teleconferencing and and doing it via zoom i guess that's not an advertisement for zoom (laughs) like it's just it is what it is it it wasn't even a rocky start it just takes a minute to get used to because so much of what the writer's room experience is is sitting there with you know whatever six to 10 or three people or whatever, and just kind of bouncing ideas and riffing on each other. And, and so when you have to kind of stop to be like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Because your Wi-Fi connection <laughs> or whatever is a little off. Um, you know, that some of that slows us down, but we were kind of already rolling on some scripts. So really it's just, you know, punch up. So we're not in that moment where not yet. We probably soon will be where we're like, you know, square one on ideas and like, blue skying in the room i wonder how that will go because that that's always a different experience um when it's just such a vast open space and like well what if this what if that uh especially if it's a big room but usually we have two to three rooms going at a time um yeah i mean some you know it's like sometimes you're in al al's room sometimes you're in selman's room uh so it just depends on the day and where we are and what we're working on but yeah we've already done our first table read uh, we've done two actually. We've done animatics, so yeah, we you know it's 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 rolling. It's kind of crazy that we didn't have to slow down. The only thing we're gonna have to yeah. figure out is is how to do the the voice, uh, how to record the actors. Uh, you know, mm. are we setting up booths at their houses or something? You know, like it, that's the only thing. But other than that, the animators are uh, you know working from home, designers and stuff, and, and able to send us drawings still, and, and you know designs and all that kind of stuff it's it's kind of crazy the animation hasn't lost too much of step as, as yeah. far as i've heard i was gonna say it would be funny if all of the voice actors except for one had really nice microphones so like <laughs> <laughs> like yours I was gonna, like your amazing I was gonna... mic I was going to say that it'd be funny for the table reads. Like I just imagine a zoom call where it's like, 
you know, the table reads of like the, you know, writers and the voiceover actors, but because it's a Simpsons table read, they're still like 45 extra people that are hangers on, like, oh, on right. The yeah. We did not do that this time around. Yeah. Usually there's a, <laughs> just a huge room full of people, but no, now it's just bare bones. Who do we need to be there? Who's going to give notes? There, there's no one else on those. Cause obviously we don't also don't want it to be like recorded right. and put out there or whatever, but yeah, I think Big Mouth like put theirs out there and everything. Like it's it's, really? it's a whole yeah. I think they did something for YouTube. Uh, Weird. I mean, it was like a um, a charity thing. I, I think. Uh, oh, that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's it's an exciting time and it's interesting. I mean, it, it's super sad and scary and all that stuff. But as far as like figuring out and making it work and and trying to, you know, we're also trying to cheer people up because we don't know how long this thing's going to last and and we, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, if we can bring a little bit of whatever happiness into the world and stuff, great. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, obviously it goes without saying that what's happening is of course really sad and scary and there are a lot of negatives of course, but you know, the fact that we are all part of history and getting to watch something that has never unfolded before and find ways to stay positive, I think is really special. And my advice to people, oddly, is don't let this pass you by. Like, enjoy mm-hmm. what you can from this very unique time. And I hope it's unique. I hope this isn't something that, <laughs> you know, is the this new is normal. The new normal. Yeah. <laughs> right, if it's right, the new right. normal, it could fuck off. But, you know, <laughs> my guess yeah. is, you know, even this, even let's say it lasts, you know, another six to eight months. Like, let's say it's oh, just a really a long time. <laughs> let's right. hope not. But even then, like, in the scheme of our lives, like that's not a lot of time, um, depending on who you are. But like, you know, it, enjoy it while you can, because there will be things about this that we'll probably miss. Right. Um, they're, they're like the, the, the creativity being like, like there's so many interesting things that people are able to pull off right now. It's like, oh, like uh, if they have the time, if they have the resources and all that. But like, you know, people are doing whatever stand up comedy via, or like, you know, an orchestra yeah. is playing together a choir. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are finding ways to like, uh, you know, help their neighbors, help senior citizens they didn't even know that lived in the building that are their neighbors and stuff like that. So, you know, any way people can bring a little bit of positivity into the world, like, great, you know, I'm all for it. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. I was on a, um, a Zoom call with my writing group the other day and there was a moment where, and I'm sure this is like me and my writing group showing our California right now, but we were talking about, you know, our our current time right now. And of course the rhetoric so quickly goes to, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world, you know, blah, blah, blah. And one of the members of my writing group said, you know, it's actually like, it could be seen as the, you know, the, the great restarting and the resetting or like a rebirth in, in making it a little bit more positive to be like, we're fixing, you know, things that were broken in our world previously. And if that is in the simple case of just a human connection, even though it's ironic that it's like a virtual human connection, but maybe this is the time where (laughs) gratitude kind of wins out and we're able to kind of reassess our priorities and hopefully reemerge into society with like a little bit more compassion, a little bit more understanding and, and care for ourselves and for our fellow man, not to make it like immediately (laughs) talking about, you know, like, um, 
wholesome sweet things like that in a Simpsons podcast. But um, Or in three weeks, we will be feasting on the goo inside of each other's skulls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, either way, goo a is good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Julie and I were looking at a bit of your history. And of course, we would love to know uh, how you got into writing in the first place and what sparked your interest and what kind of led you down that path, we were really curious about the fact that you have been a legal temp, a stress management counselor, uh, <laughs> and a funeral assistant. Um, yes. Those things definitely are all uh, wonderful in terms of adding to your perspective in a in a room. And I could see why anyone would want to hire you because you have <laughs> such a diverse like understanding of the world. But how on earth? Did you get those jobs and then did you end up <laughs> as a writer? <laughs> the, the writing part was always just kind of the, just the creativity in general was always there as a little kid. I went to high school, like a performing arts high school for uh, for theater. And there I just kind of got an appreciation for everything else. And, you know, wrote some like terrible 14 year old one act plays kind of thing uh, or scenes or whatever. And uh, then it was like, oh, well, it's time to go to college. And I was just scared to be like a waiter and an actor or whatever so i was like well maybe i'll be like major in film because i was so much more safe you know so what a safe bet <laughs> so i went to nyu for film and then it was like oh, okay i think i like writing i like animation i took some animation classes and then i graduated thinking like oh i could get a job in like one of the biocoms like you know mtv you know vh1 uh, whatever and then 9 11 happened uh, and, you know, kind of like now I'm seeing a lot of young people online now, like on Twitter being like, crap, what the hell am I going to do? I just am about to graduate and coming into this crazy recession and whatever. That's pretty much how I felt and how I ended up working as a stress management counselor, among other things. But, uh, it, it was, uh, directly related to like New York got a lot of FEMA money at the time. And a friend of mine who was an actress was like, I'm doing these kind of this service. It's free. Uh, but you still get paid. You, you go around and basically do it for anyone that wants to, you know, like an hour of their day to go to this uh, stress management workshop. Uh, it could be senior citizens. It could be seven-year-olds. It could be nurses at a senior home. It could be at one time it was uh, a bunch of dudes at a halfway house who were giving up their like one hour of TV that day. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to go terribly. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it went okay, actually. Um that was a weird time. It was about a year and a half of my life. And, and all, you know, during that, I was also trying to write. Like I said earlier, I was trying to write a horror movie. I thought I was going to be like on some Spike Lee kind of shit early on in my, <laughs> in my whatever writing post-college, you know, ideas of what, write, what, I, what kind of writer I was going to be. But yeah, in New York, I feel like I spun my wheels a lot. I, the, the temping, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine had hooked me up with like a, a temp agency that she used. Most of it was legal temp. Most of my time was spent <laughs> at uh, Purdue Pharma, which is the the creators of the uh, the opioid addiction issue. <laughs> so oh, I was cool! Like, I was, yeah, I know, right? Lately, yeah, it was like a, where the action is. Right, exactly. There was a thing around New Year's when everyone was like, "What were you doing in 2010? And what are you doing now in 2020?" And I was like, what was I doing in 2010? And I just kind of looked up like some emails. So I was like, oh, I was working for Purdue Pharma. Like, and I guess even back then, it was, I think that was the start of like, oh, I think we're about to get sued for kind of like <laughs> giving everyone these for, you know, <laughs> without asking any questions. 
I, I think I just didn't have enough of a fire under my ass. And I was also scared like to kind of like move to LA and just do that whole thing. So in New York, I still had little bits of creativity and, and it, possibilities that came around, but like, it wasn't until I moved to LA and really thought about like, Oh, okay. I got it. Like, I didn't know how to drive. I was scared of like, you know, what's mm. when you're young, you feel like, Oh yeah. If you learn how to drive at 16 or 17, you feel like you're immortal. If you learn how to drive at like 30, you're like, I'm buying a ticket to a possible like death lottery. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I was super scared <laughs> yeah, about yeah, yeah. learning drive, super scared about <laughs> moving, super scared about like, I'm leaving this one temp job that I have. that has been able to like eke out a living. I've been able to eke out a living for the last decade or whatever. Uh, so it was scary to move here and here it was like, Oh, what a bartender. When, so when I finally moved here with my girlfriend, now wife, uh, and I was like, Oh, I'll try to go to bartending school or I'll try to be a PA or I'll try to do this or that. It, it was just eking out little bits of cash. And then one day my then girlfriend, now wife was like, uh, we came back from the holidays and she, from the, on the East coast. And she was like, look, you need to get a job. You need to get any steady job whether it's mcdonald's whether it's whatever i was like all right, right you're right you're right you're right fine and so i'm applying to jobs and one of them was a funeral assistant at a mortuary by <laughs> bilingual preferred and i was like well i speak spanish you know what i'm saying so wow i just applied and i'm like watch of all the things i want you know like oh it's you know like i, I want to work at a at, you know, ad agency, or I want to, you know, work at the Fox mail room, whatever, you know, like something that maybe helped me with my writing career. That was the one that came through. Uh, and I didn't know how it would, you know, you don't know how you're going to be. Like, I don't know. I've, I've been to five funerals in my life at that point. So I was like, am I going to freak out around dead people? Is it going to be weird? Am I going to like, you know, is it going to be super uncomfortable? But my time as a stress management counselor, which was not clinical. Like if I, I, I wouldn't deal with anyone that like actually had stress to no two nine eleven because it was like nine eleven related. If someone right, was like, right. Oh yeah, I lost my husband on nine eleven, we would have to refer to them to, to, to you know, like a, a natural therapist or psychologist or whatever. That was the check please clause. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I talked to a lot of people in New York that were stressed out for a million reasons, you know, whatever they lived in the projects and like, you know, like there was this one lady who was like, uh, there's someone here who thinks that I snitched on them to the cops. And I now I feel like in danger for my life. And I remember just <gasps> thinking like, gee, like, you know, there's so many millions of stories about why people are stressed out. Like her mom lived in that building. She was like, and now I feel like I can't visit my mom and whatever. And so, there, you know, and I was seniors that like didn't just see that many people as they used to. And their friends are passing away because I go to a lot of senior centers and stuff like that. And so that. I don't know. It gave me a lot of empathy early on in my life. Um, so then when I was trying to be a funeral assistant, it was just so much about like, uh, I don't know, like helping people out and through a very difficult time and realizing they're paying a lot of money in a very short amount of time, like coughing up sometimes 15, 20 grand. Mm. So just trying to be as empathetic as possible, trying to solve as many problems as possible. Uh, and yeah, that was it. And oddly enough, it ended up being better than, whatever, getting a job in the Fox mailroom or whatever, or being a PA on a show. Cause it was like, as soon as I go in on any of these, you know, early meetings or whatever, general meetings or potential staffing meetings, the first 10 minutes were always like, so your agent tells me you work at a funeral home. What's that like? And then, so, <laughs> you know, so that that's always a great, you know, it, the longer you're meeting, probably the better your chances are of, of 
being remembered. And, and mm-hmm. if you have a weird thing like that, that, that also sticks out like, uh, Oh yeah. What was that guy who worked with the, with the dead people? Yeah. Yeah. Let's read his pilot, you know? So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The, the funeral home was <laughs> working at the funeral home was the last like job, non writing job that I had. Cause I, I, while I left the funeral home to start writing, uh, my web series high and mighty, uh, with through stage 13. And that, that kind of got the ball rolling on everything else. Uh, and that was, yeah, I mean, I, I moved to LA seven years ago. It'll be in July. Uh, and, uh, yeah, to be here in that, that amount of time, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate to, to have, uh, gotten here and, and kind of, it did, I didn't hit the ground running. It took me maybe three years or something like that. But even then I know people have been out here 10 years that, that you know, it could take a while. So, Right. Knock on wood. Fingers crossed. Uh, you know, keeps on <laughs> I think you're doing forward. all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. So let's talk about High and Mighty. I know that you've already done other interview shows and have talked about it um, a lot. But for our Simpsons fans here that want to know more about it, um, give us the rundown. Uh, High and Mighty uh, was a web series that I created with uh, Stage 13, which was a short form, at the time, a short form a digital production hub uh, that was like a, a Warner Brothers thing. And I think currently they just kind of dropped the short form and are just kind of like a, a, a like a production company, I guess, because originally it was going to be like this little hub, kind of like Quibi or whatever. But now I think they like they have shows on the CW and like Netflix, Netflix that are like, yeah. that are like 30 minutes. So I think, you know, they, they're like, Hey, whatever, we, we, it's time to change with the times. And so they have like, uh, two sentence horror stories. Uh, 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 it's Bruno on Netflix, uh, marching orders on Netflix. Uh, what was Cooking the show on, on Netflix? High, Cooking on high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they kind of like a uh, change with the times and, and yeah. So our, our originally, I went in with, they found a script that I wrote, a pilot that was kind of like a stunt script in a sense. Like it was like, write something kind of crazy that you're excited about, excited about that probably won't get made, but will get you in the room. So I wrote that. And the idea was kind of like unbreakable meets Friday. Like what if a (laughs) kind of like lay about, do nothing, lovable loser type. Uh, finds out he has superpowers, but only when he's drunk or high. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so that, that, that was the initial idea. And they kind of took uh, notice of it. And I went in to meet with them and they're like, can you make this a short form thing? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And you know, like anything that's like digital, you never know, like, is this for YouTube? Is right. this just a couple of people? Is this whatever? But you know, it was Warner brothers. So I was like, all right, uh, yeah, let's, let's move. You know, as soon as they, we kind of shaped it and molded it. It was a lot with, with Chris Max help and Moises Velez and, and Diana Mogollon and Christina Davila, the folks at Stage 13, really, really cool and really helpful. We found like a, a way to make it not just this kind of like, oh, it's, it's fun. Like, it, oh, it's just a guy having fun on drugs. Like we, with their help, they kind of helped me mold it into more of a, a story that's still funny, but also like at the core of it about addiction Mm. And, uh, so it's a guy who has, you know, is at his worst when, you know, he's on drugs, but also superpower wise at his best. So, you know, he, he doesn't have a reason to want to stop. Um, Mm -hmm. so we, once we found that core, it made it like, oh, this is why this is funny and interesting and, and, but still has, uh, some sense of kind of realism and like pathos and whatever. So yeah, we shot seven episodes, 
that were like 10 to 15 minutes each. And yeah, originally the intent was, all right, let's put it on, on, on this website. But then I was like, you know what, maybe we can do kind of something else with it. And it ended up going to like uh, HBO Latino, who kind of wanted it kind of all kind of edited together, kind of as a feature, uh, which it wasn't intended to be. So, you know, it ends on a cliffhanger, season one cliffhanger. But I've seen reviews on Amazon <laughs> that are like, it just ends. What the fuck? <laughs> um, so there, there is a season two that I've written. We're currently working on, um, I don't know, there, there's a possibility of, you know, uh, developing it uh, if, in, in another platform in another way so it, it's it's early in the in the process but I, I think we might be bringing it to to you know fruition in another way but yeah that 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 project was the first thing it, it, it got to Sundance like the first year or second year they were doing uh tv stuff like streaming stuff which was super exciting like it was something that I just did not and I didn't know how it was gonna you know land anywhere I just mean, like, how, if people would, would like it, if, you know, it's a full, almost completely Latino cast. Uh, it's about, it's a, it's silly, but also very serious. But yeah, the, the, the places that it's been available, people have reached out and kind of, I'm surprised by the positive uh, reaction to it. And I'm glad people liked it. And currently, I don't think people can see it anywhere. It was on HBO Go for about a year. And now I think it's, you know, like I said, it's in that process of maybe being developed as something else. We'll see. Um, but that That's got amazing. me, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you can still watch the trailer. So if people listening want to check out, you yeah. know, kind of like a sizzle of what you've uh, just described, I think that's still on YouTube somewhere, but that's very cool that you got to go to Sundance with it. That's yeah, amazing. that was, uh, that was completely unexpected. That was like so many, like uh, people that I know have gone and, and, and you know, you, you scrounge and save and like you've crashed with like seven people in some room or something like that. And that was not, I didn't know I had applied, we had applied to Sundance. Like, you know, it was like, it, it, because there's this big <laughs> production company, because Warner Brothers is now involved, like someone's job was to like apply to all these things. And I didn't really know about it. By that time I was already working on my first show. So I kind of got a call in the room and I was like, Oh, I wonder what this is. And then I was like, what? Sun-? I was like, sh- I was completely shocked and, and uh, you know, loved the, the whole experience. And yeah, it was completely amazing. And I, I yeah, it was a, a, a thrill. That's amazing. Let's actually take our first break and then we're going to get more into uh, your other work and uh, your time at The Simpsons. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a brand new podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases. To scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work. To fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Shire. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! Hey, we're back from our break. What a good break. What a great break. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is nothing to do with The Simpsons and maybe an annoying question, but... Have you seen Six Feet Under? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I watched it back then, not knowing that that would one day be part of my life. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you saw it before you actually became someone who worked at a at a funeral home. Yes. 
So did that in any way color or influence what you thought the job was going to be? A, li- a little bit. But what's funny is that I remember on that show, a big part of it was like, we're a family run business. Like, you know, everyone else has, has been bought by these big chains. And I was working at one of the kind of, in a sense, big chains. Oh, wow. So the experience big chains. was... Yeah, it, well, I mean, there's only like two, <laughs> I think there's only two or three major chains. Like in a sense, like think of like McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll, you would never know it because it'll say like whatever Johnson family mortuary or whatever. Uh, but, but you won't know that it's, it's one of a conglomerate. Like, you know, it might still be the family running it maybe, or maybe not. Maybe they bought out the name and it's just, you know, some completely different group of people running it. But yeah, it was just, it, it just exposed me to the, it's how, how really messed up it is that there's a whole business set up around the funeral industry and how much they can absolutely gouge you for like as far as like you know they know you're desperate they know you're sad they know you have to make a decision in a week maybe less you know and so they're charging you fifteen thousand dollars for a casket that cost them twenty five hundred to make or you know like just crazy shit like that and i was like it was a little bit of a bummer but also like all i thought about was like well, how can i make this as easy as possible for the family and how can I be as, as whatever, nice and sweet and whatever. But the, as far as like just those weird stories that being at these funerals was always the thing you'd end up thinking about was, was how they died. Like in these crazy stories and you know how the every, every episode started with, um, Oh, some lady is talking on the phone and then an air conditioner falls <laughs> on her head. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it was, it was that kind of thing where it was like, Oh, they wow. Oh, there's an 18 year old. I wonder what this was. And then you hear about it from mm. the, the person you're working with, and you're like, "Oh, wow, that's nuts!" Or, or "Oh, a 96 year old who died in a drunk driving accident." What? Like, you know, wow. the things that you thought were going to happen were never kind of. And then, uh, you know, a lot of them. Like, there, there's a death season apparently, which I didn't know. What? But basically, November through February, more people die. That makes uh, sense. And sometimes they're like, oh, it's, you know, flu seasons or, or whatever, older people. But also they're like, it just seems to be people that were hanging on, were waiting for the holidays. It's kind of this nebulous thing. But I mean, I think huh. it, it definitely does have a lot to do with like, you know, flus and sicknesses and stuff. But sometimes it would just be like, oh, this guy, this person died of a car accident. This person died of whatever, suicide. This person died, whatever. I, I guess it must be a, 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 just an amalgam of reasons. But that yeah. was one of those things that when I was working there, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, it was weird. Wow. It was it was a weird time. <laughs> yeah. I hate wearing suits. I just juggle the same like two or three suits. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I got a major lower back problem from standing around all day. Uh, it was, but it was, it was good for story. It was good for writing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and fortunately your new job has a lot of sitting. Yes. <laughs> Almost too much. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm never happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that means that you're creative. <laughs> you can never be satisfied. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I would love to talk about, so we kind of teased earlier that you were involved in the CBS Diversity Showcase and you were selected to be a part of the WB Television Workshop. Can you um, walk through, for people that are listening that aren't familiar with the Studio Fellowships, sort of like what that process is, what that means, and you know how much of a big deal it is as a writer? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the CBS Diversity Workshop was the, f- the very first thing I did when I came out here. I was lucky enough to, uh, like a, fr- a friend of mine from high school that I was still in contact with, he was like, oh, when you get out to L.A., 
uh, hit up my brother's uh, girlfriend. She works at CBS, and uh, it was Caitlin Saltzman, who at the time was working at CBS, but now she's at Wilmer Valderrama's production company. Um, but back then she was like, you know, like anyone in development, she kind of would take these meetings and, you know, maybe politely never, you know, <laughs> you know, like depending on your level of talent, you know, tell you to keep at it and keep trying or whatever. But mm-hmm. she read a Parks and Rec spec of mine. We And then the next day was like, I'm only 10 pages in, uh, but I can definitely try to help you out. And one of the things, the, the first thing she did was uh, get my stuff over to the people that ran the CBS diversity workshop. Uh, and so suddenly I'm in New York. I mean, I'm in LA for about three weeks and suddenly I'm going to driving onto the Radford lot, which was super exciting. And wow. yeah, it's just, and it's just this process where, for a couple of months, you're writing sketch after sketch after sketch with people, and there's maybe 15 to 20 diverse actors, you know, gay, lesbian, uh, black, Latino, Asian, uh, you know, and everyone, uh, like, and these performers would be from the stand-up world or from improv or whatever. And mostly it's it's definitely their showcase because uh, – like within a couple of months, you'll start seeing these people on TV on, at the time it was like, Oh, that's Nico Santos on two broke girls. You know, I was just writing sketches for that dude a couple months ago. Uh, he's now on, um, on, uh, Superstore, which, uh, one of my favorite shows. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah it's so good. But yeah, it was just these sketches and, and just writing sketch after sketch and, and trying to make it work. And yeah, that was an absolute thrill to suddenly be surrounded by, you know, People are also trying to make it in the creative field and also just as broke as you and and also kind of know kind of the ins and outs of, of L.A. a little bit. That was one of the it, it's very easy as a writer to get stuck in your little office or at your desk just writing stuff and never meeting anyone. And that was my big problem in New York was like if I had to do it over again, I would whatever, take an improv class. I would try to do stand up. I would try to do something that got me out of the house and meeting people. And in LA, that was the difference of suddenly meeting people. And, and through that, uh, I met Sarah Gardner. Uh, her boyfriend, now husband, uh, was in the program. And uh, she was at Fanfare at the time. And now I think she's working independently. And she was just cool enough that she wanted to read my stuff. She asked her, her boyfriend, like, hey, if you see anyone's stuff over there you think I might like, send it my way. And she was like, hey, do you have representation? I thought like she wanted to represent me or something, but she was just in development and wanted to kind of get me, you know, like I guess that when you're in development, it helps to kind of keep an eye out for talent because they could be someone you go to whatever, four years later about something. Yeah. Uh, so because of her, I found my manager and agents that I'm still with today uh, at Gersh and at uh, Magnet Management. Amazing. And it's the reason, it's like this little short, like it's like in pinball where you're just kind of bouncing around. Like I've been fortunate enough that when I bounced to the, you know, because I did the CBS showcase, I met Sarah Gardner because I met Sarah Gardner. I got my reps because I got my reps. They sent my stuff to, uh, uh, Warner brothers, uh, who, because they liked high and mighty, uh, Chris Mack, who was running stage 13 at the time also ran the Warner brothers writers workshop. And so he suggested me for the workshop so like kind of a, when I handed in my first draft, like really under the gun, because I took forever to develop it for High and Mighty, I was almost going to miss that first wave of production because they were producing a couple of shows at the same time. Uh, but when I handed it in, I think I wrote 120 pages in like three and a half weeks. Uh, he was wow. like, this is really good. This is a really good first draft. 
have you ever thought about applying to the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop? I'm like, yeah, I apply every year and I get never get in. He's like, well, <laughs> you should try again this year. You know, like, oh, all right. Mm, but I was wink, wink. right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was so busy. I applied with the same Bob's Burger spec that I had applied with the year before. I just punched it up a little more or whatever. But it really is like it, it showed me that like with these programs, don't get offended if you don't get in, or if, even if you don't make it past that first, uh, you know, wave of uh, notes or whatever. Because sometimes it's like picking a racehorse. They want someone who's already kind of halfway there, who has a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Like not someone who is like, oh, this is an amazing script, but you're in Kansas, or you know what I'm saying, or this is an amazing right. script, but you, you, you know, you have a job at you know whatever as a painter or something. You know, like they want to see, oh, this person is already an assistant to so and so that runs this show, or this person's a writer's assistant on blah blah blah, or this person just did this thing with stage thirteen or whatever. So we know they take notes. We know that they are funny or whatever. So I got into the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop through High and Mighty, and then, uh, yeah, the, that program. It, I don't. I know there are so many like it, but I feel like that one is very. Uh, you know, my experience with it was amazing because it's basically just a, a, you know, boot camp. Like, of here's what it is to be a staff writer. It isn't kind of like, uh, what's it like to be a TV writer? It, no, it's it's very much focused on being a staff writer being the best staff writer you can be so that you can then take your career wherever you want it to go. You know, like it, it focused so much on being helpful on being those, those big notes that you should know that like how to pitch an idea that, you know, how to pitch an alt, how to not just tear down and tear down. Cause how to mm-hmm. be not the person, how to not be the person that they don't want to hire back. <laughs> and it has the highest turnaround, I think of people getting staffed than the other programs do, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think usually they have like a 90% turnaround rate. Like if you were in the program and it ends around March or something like that, usually there's like nine of, there were nine of us that year. I think all of us were staffed by June. And then the last person was staffed, I don't know, a couple months later. So everyone had, you know, kind of got on a show or whatever. Uh, And the first show I got on was uh, Deception, which was a... Uh, for me at the time it was a curveball because it was a uh, drama. Uh, Warner Brothers does more dramas than they do comedies, but you know there were only three comedy writers uh, in the program because, like I said, a lot of the Warner Brothers stuff is drama. Right. So I was concerned, like you know, I, am I going to kind of get pigeonholed as a drama writer or whatever? But luckily, mm-hmm. it was a what do you call it? A, a light one-hour drama, so there was like comedy in it. It was called sure, Deception. Sure. It was about a magician who helps the FBI solve crime. So clearly there was a lot of room there for humor I mean, and I'm comedy and stuff. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and it was run by Chris Fedak, who had done Chuck, which, you know, also kind of oh, put, wow. there was a lot of room for comedy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was another comedy writer on there called Sam Sclaver. Uh, Deception wasn't ultimately picked up for a second season, but those two guys went on and did Prodigal Son, which is now kind of like a hit for Fox and has a couple of writers from that room. Like, yeah, and I'm super, super happy for those guys. But yeah, that room was my first room. And it was very much like I went in, you know, as the comedy guy, like, am I going to be just kind of useless here or am I just going to do the little jokes here and there? But no, Chris Fedak is a great showrunner. And it was, you know, anything that made the show work, he would put it in. I've been fortunate. I've only been in two writers' rooms, and I've been fortunate that they've both been very supportive of kind of new talent. That they're not going to, you know, shut you down or ice you out, mm. um, which is super important. And I imagine that it's kind of like 
you know, like in being a teenager, like if, if how people treat you as a teenager can sometimes affect how you're going to treat people and the kind of person you're going to be as you grow up in the same way, how they treat baby writers can kind of affect those people. Like if they were abusive, then maybe those people end up growing up to be like abusive showrunners or whatever. Um, but I've been treated absolutely wonderfully by both of these shows. And, you know, if it gets funny, it gets in. Uh, if it doesn't, because of what I learned in the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop, I, you know, just let it slide off your back. Like uh, you're you're there to kind of be, you know, like a, 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 sh- a ship hand or something, you know, like like whatever the person on the boat that's just there to help out. Like you're not running this. Sh- you're not driving the boat. What's the word? We're not <laughs> stewarding the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but suddenly we're in maritime law. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I love what you're saying about, like, being kind to baby writers because, you know, um, I feel like anywhere that you get close to sort of what the TV writing world is, you learn very quickly about the hierarchy of it. And, you know, we're kind of circling that in talking about, like, these studio fellowships are meant to sort of crack through the hierarchy that, you know, like, prevent a lot of people from getting a foot in the door. And I think that, you know, it's more common, uh, unfortunately, I will say that, like, once you get in as a baby writer, you feel like you're being treated like a baby writer. And I think that, you know, it's true what you're saying about, like, if you feel that way, then you can kind of like, you know, um, continue that possibly negative pattern down the line and, and make people feel more imposter syndrome than they should. And I think that it just like prohibits creativity when you, you know, treat people within this hierarchy. But, you know, and Allie and I, of course, in doing this podcast about The Simpsons have learned that The Simpsons is not that place. And it's reassuring also to hear that that's been your experience too. And I think that, you know, similar to like, any creative that sort of like established themselves for uh, decades plus are being kind to the new class coming in. I think that that just fosters more creativity and a more positive environment to, you know, create things that are better for the world. (laughs) I will say. Totally. Totally. If If you can, you can squash dreams just as easily as you can foster them. Uh, (laughs) So anyone who's out there, you know, and if, if someone, whether it's, you know, a PA or, or whoever, like uh, someone that just, you know, like I, I meet people randomly, you know, whatever now at a film festival or through a friend of a friend. And when you meet someone who actually is in the world of what you're trying to do and they have a moment to talk to you uh, or you have a moment to talk to them rather take it. Cause I remember being in New York and just thinking, man, if I knew someone, it would help me think that this is a real possibility. You know what I'm saying? That, right. that it makes it that much more tangible when you know someone who is a writer and whatever little bits of advice they have for you, uh, that it's kind of worth the struggle, you know? So, you know, be nice and don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah, be a jerk and- is always a good uh, yeah. life lesson, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also not reinforcing like, you're new, so you don't know anything. Let me give it's like, well, who does that, especially in today's world, like, who does that benefit to like, really emphasize somebody else's newness or inexperience and making them feel like an outsider. I just think that it's not only so much kinder to have everybody be seen as people with worthy ideas, you know, best idea wins. It doesn't matter where it comes from versus like these, you know, I don't know, they are unnecessary boundaries that you create in creative workplaces that are just there to maintain the status quo. And then we don't get to hear diverse voices and we don't get to hear fresh takes. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah. I was, because I was fortunate enough to go through the Warner Brothers workshop, I, I feel like there was a lot that I learned there that like, like I could see if like, let's say I had been a standup and then somehow kind of like that was the way I got in. I could see there would be a lot of lessons that I might've missed, you know, that I learned through the workshop. So I think there is something to, you're new in the room and there's something to learn. But yeah, the attitude with which you, you know, a higher up expresses that can mean all the difference, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, uh, but now what's funny, there's so much online about how to, how to be, you know, there's so many people on Twitter (laughs) that are just so open about with how to be in the writer's room, like Gloria Calderon Kellett. I think she has something on YouTube. That's just like basically step by step on how to be a writer. And when, once you're in the writer's room, how to be as a writer's assistant and how to be as a staff writer. There's so much out there that kind of help people that, that you, you start, uh, being in the program is certainly uh, uh, a laurel and, and it's something to kind of shoot for. But there's so much out there that's information that's already free that uh, if people are trying to be writers, go look that stuff up. Uh, it'll help you become a stronger writer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your time of The Simpsons. podcast fan, we have a quick favor to ask. We'd like to get a better idea of who you are and what you care about. So if you have a couple moments to spare, go to MaximumFun.org slash ad survey. There, we've got a short anonymous survey that won't take any more than 10 minutes to fill out. Plus, if you finish it, you'll get a 10% discount on our merch at the MaxFun store. MaxFun shows have always relied on support from our members and always will. The survey will help keep the few ads we do run relevant and interesting for you. Again, that's MaximumFun.org slash ad survey, all one word. And thanks for your help. Let's talk about The Simpsons. So growing up, were you a fan or when did you start watching the show? Like literally from the first episode, I, I'm sure I watched, I definitely watched uh, Tracy Ellman show and saw it as the little cartoons that, you know, kind of zany and weird and squiggly and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I was that perfect kind of sweet spot of like, you know, I guess this is aging myself, but you know, like 10, 11 year old kid or whatever. So like when it started, you know, I kind of, in a sense, started and like, it was like almost perfect for me. Like it was, there were things that were too adult for me. There were things that were too baby for me. And that was that sweet spot of like, oh, this is a weird, crazy kind of sense of humor that's new and different. When I got to the show, like it it reminded me of that movie 300, uh, yeah. <laughs> where in early in the movie you see that these kids are trained to be warriors from the age of like eight <laughs> I was like oh this show trained me to write for this show from the age of oh, eight like this show yeah. molded my sense of humor in such a huge way I mean I when I go home there's I still have a dresser from when I was a kid that I like drew and like graffitied all over and there's really <laughs> bad Bart Simpson drawings and Homer Simpson drawings on it from when I was like 12 years old <laughs> So, yeah, it's impossible to, to kind of state how much the show meant to me as a kid. I still have copies on VHS of episodes I recorded that I, like, memorized from, like, you know, those really, really early seasons. And then as it just got better and better, you know, I got kind of smarter and being, you know, like a little teenager smart aleck. And it, it molded my sense <laughs> of humor. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, so when I got, you know, went to that meeting, I was like, uh, yeah, I'll, you know. 
<laughs> I'm definitely interested. And, you know, I met with Al, uh, Al Jean for, it was literally a 10 minute kind of interview. And he was like, it was very quick, sudden end of the meeting. He's like, all right, well, uh, we'll talk to your agent and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, and when he said, all right, well, I was like, crap, this is a 10 minute yeah. meeting. They're not going <laughs> to staff me. It was a short meeting. So that means he's not interested. But then he said, so we'll talk to your agent. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. Did you, are you offering me the job? And he was like, oh, yes. And I, I said, holy shit. <laughs> and I got up and I, you know, shook his hand and I immediately walked out and I looked at my watch. The meeting started at one. It was like one ten, one eleven, or something. And I was like, I got this job in 10 minutes. That's insane. I mean, I guess he knew already from right. I, I, my to boss brother's spec or whatever that he we wanted me. You know, yeah, any of these staff meetings are usually just like, is this person a weirdo? Are they, how do they tell a story? Do they smell, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I guess in that 10 minutes you could tell. Uh, and yeah, it's been a dream ever since I've been there for about two years now in May. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. It's still a thrill. I mean, when I was driving to work, now that that drive isn't there almost every day, it was just like, like, you know, driving to a dream job. It's, 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 it's rare. It's such a privilege. It's uh, amazing. And I, I, I love it. And everyone there has been so great because uh, it, it could have been easy to kind of be a jerk to a, a young, new idiot, but they've been super cool and I'm super grateful to them. Oh, that's so great. So we're actually going to start to wrap up the conversation, but I really want to know through both the workshops that you've done um, and your personal experience, what are some of the most important lessons that you could give a new writer starting out today? Uh, lessons to a new writer? Uh, or even I an think, old writer. I, know, <laughs> I think for the thing that that turned the corner for me for spec writing was I was looking up online. This was in New York and I found someone's blog and his name is Keon Kim. And it was, he's someone who had gotten into the programs and it was like his advice on how to get into the programs or whatever. And he had this bit of advice about find three scripts by the show that you're specking. Mine was a uh, parks and rec. I found three parks and rec scripts online. Uh, and then he said, break them down, uh, in an Excel spreadsheet, how many jokes are there per page? How many times, you know, does whatever Tom Haverford have a joke versus uh, Leslie Nope? Uh, how long is Act One? How long is Act Three? And then see what the average is, because you'd be surprised at how it is a mathematical equation. Because you can be funny. I mean, you can know how to tell a joke. You can know how to tell a story. But this really is a language. Like TV is such a specific language. So it's like learning um, Mandarin. You know, you can learn, you can learn, if you, if you apply yourself, you can learn Mandarin, but then that next little 10% is going to be, can you write a poem in Mandarin? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so that's the stuff that the artist or whatever has already, but you really have to mold that to like what the world of television is. I think that was a big part of my kind of recognizing that like, oh, I wrote a really crappy 30 rock spec that was like jokes, 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 but did it, you know, did it end when it need? when did act one end when it needed to end? No, it was like on page, whatever, 23 or something. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, that's the big part of it is the language. And then after that team up with people, go shoot a little web series or uh, go to uh, do some improv, take some improv classes, do some stand up, meet other people, like-minded people that you can work with. I didn't do that in New York. And I, I mean, I did a little bit, but uh, not in the comedy sense. 
that that completely changed. Uh, that's when you meet people, and that's when you get opportunities. Uh, yeah. And those two things were the kind of the the biggest kind of game changers for me. And also, Chris Mack told me this when I was uh, there, when I was in the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Like live a kind of complete life. I mean, I can't I, like you know people like that I worked at a funeral home because it was a story. Um, so for people that are like, oh, I'm an assistant to so-and-so, sometimes like I think, especially for getting into programs, sometimes that's good, but it can also be a hindrance. It's like, well, what's your life experience? Like I met a right. lady at a mixer. It was where all the programs, writers programs met. And she worked for the CDC. And Whoa. she, yeah, chasing viruses all over the world. And then she got one of these viruses and almost died. And after Whoa. that, was like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I've always wanted to be a writer. And then sure wow. enough, she wrote like one pilot and one spec. And both of them got into like two separate programs. One of them got her into the Sundance program, I think, Sundance Writers Lab. So, yeah, immediately that's like, an oh, wow, this is an amazing story. Or like this guy used to be a cop or this person. But you, you can also volunteer at a senior center and have a completely different outlook on, you know, like – it, it, all these little different yeah. ways of like, what what is your story? Like kind of color your story a little more so that it's not just like, well, I work here at an office and I do this and that, like, you know, totally that that is going to be what kind of gets you into the room and, and gets you remembered, you know? That's great advice. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of uh, younger people to, to no fault of anyone, like they come into rooms with, uh, stories of other shows they've watched, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than just their own lives, right. myself Favorite included, shows. Yeah. myself yeah. included. <laughs> like I, you know, a lot of life will remind me of the Simpsons. And so I think, you know, that is a very easy touchstone for me to say, just like, Oh, it's like this thing instead of like, Oh, it's like this part of my life, you know? Um, right. But I, so I think that having your own stories and, and going out and doing things absolutely not only makes you a more well-rounded writer, but just a, a more fun person to talk to. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, any other questions before we uh, say goodbye and I'll go back to our bunkered lives? <laughs> no, I'm just like thinking about how I've wasted my life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a minute? <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess now is the time to live a full life within the confines <laughs> of my own. No, no, this has been really, really great. And yeah, I just, I, I'm so delighted to talk to you, Cesar, because I just feel like, you know, we've been interviewing a lot of writers from the show who've been there since the beginning. And it's been so, you know, refreshing to hear somebody who is two years in and comes from, you know, like a completely different approach in writing for television. And I just feel like, you know, your voice is uh, very needed. And, and, you know, it's, it's just really great to talk to you about your experience with this. No, thank you. Thank you. My, my first episode, I think will be coming out in November or oh, cool. around then, assuming television still exists and we're not just doing yeah. puppet shows around an oil drum fire or something. <laughs> uh, but I'm super excited for it. I see designs for it and like drawings and like I'm it, I'm thrilled. It's that little kid that used to watch the show is getting these drawings and like, you know, Matt Groening has notes on them and I'm like, holy shit, you know, like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, it's it's a super thrill. I mean, I, there are we, we've had a, a kind of new influx of writers since I've been there. That yeah, you should also talk to uh, Elizabeth Afric Kiernan and Jessica Conrad and Christine Nangle. Uh, Megan Amram was there for a stretch when she wasn't on uh, The Good Place. 
Uh, and, you know, talk to them because also, like, I think Megan Amram had a Simpsons themed bar, bat mitzvah, if I'm not mistaken. No, so, yeah. like, yeah, there's this kind of talk wave of people who grew up with this show and, and, and love it. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see, yeah, like you're saying, like kind of that next wave. I mean, I'm, when you guys wanted me to be on the show, I'm like, uh, uh, they talked to people who, you know, like Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein or whatever. Like, I what have I done? You know what I'm saying? Like, I haven't done much. So, you know, but I'm super happy to talk about, you know, how I got here and how people can kind of, if they're shooting to do the same thing or whatever little, you know, dream they have, like, to, to that it's possible. I was a little older than I, you know... I know people who've been writing in writers' rooms from like the age of like twenty six or something like that, and I'm like, shit, what? like you know, I was, I was jealous of them when <laughs> I was twenty six. But you know, once I was in the writers' room at like thirty six, I was like, hey, I mean, if you got here, you know, great. I mean, and you're here because someone wants to hear your voice, and I'm here because someone wants to hear mine. So it, by the time I got here, it wasn't about being jealous anymore. It was just about kind of earning the spot and kind of enjoying the moment too, not being like, all right, well, what am I going to do my pilot? What am I going to do? You know, should I, should I leave the show now and go mm, do this? Or like, yeah. you know, all that stuff. It, it's very much, I mean, it's being on the Simpsons is very much, it's a very easy kind of like a little Island to be on and be like, Oh, I can get comfortable here because people are so great because you, I've loved the show for so long, but yeah, it, it's such a thrill when we shake things up and, you know, do a, uh, Thanksgiving of horror episode. Like, you know, we still manage to find ways to shake things up and do something new that like, it, and you know, my, my episode is a complete historic flashback. Uh, I won't spoil it too much, but I, 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 we were thrilled to do it. So there was so much, I think it's going to be artistically one of the, like the, the, the really, uh, memorable episodes, uh, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully yeah. uh, people, people feel the same way when it comes out, but I'm, I'm super excited about it. That's amazing. It's been such a joy to talk to you and to get this insight about becoming a writer and having this, you know, really rich background. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thank you guys for, for having me on. Absolutely. And where can people find you and your work? Uh, I guess on Twitter, I'm uh, at Cesar, we get it. C-E-S-A-R, we get it. Uh, my work, uh, I don't Great. know, I guess on, t- on, <laughs> on TV, uh, on, yeah, on Simpsons at the end, at the, at 829, you'll see my name flash at the end of the, 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 <laughs> the episode there. But yeah. And then, and as far as, you know, I guess there's a couple sketches and stuff online, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, thank you cool. so much again. Thank you. Thank you all so much. And Julia, where can people find you? Thanks so much for asking. I'm at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? You can find me at Allie Gertz on all the things, and you could find us at Simpsons Pod. And make sure that you are interacting with us during the quarantine because we're going to be having a lot of fun little threads and and keeping it social. Yeah, um, we all we need to hop into all of our respective spruce mooses. <laughs> yes. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun, and we are a member-supported show. So if you want to help us out, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to contribute. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.